Do you want to grab a Bible? Page 1140, chapter 8. Loads of very high stacked Bibles on the white tables near the pillars. Do grab a bunch, pass them around. We love getting into this book here. That's indeed so. Try and get eyes on or get it on your phone. Chapter 8, 1140. Just while you're doing that, just to underline, no one was hurt in the fire at Wokefield Park. Just um, lay any concerns to rest. Okay. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. My heart, spirit, is stirred at the moment, stirred this evening. I don't think any of us can probably do much else right now than think of the events that have recently taken place just across the water in Paris. Those images, those recordings, 
those witness testimonies, the sheer statistics, they shock. 129 dead, 350 injured, four simultaneous terror strikes in the heart of a modern city. What I'm going to say tonight, I don't want to limit it to Paris, but I think it, it makes a focal point. There's stuff that goes on around the world every day. In the Middle East, for example. The recent bomb in Beirut. So we're not limiting, but it, it does focus the mind. Why? Because it's a city like ours. With people we know. And it could have been us. It could yet be us. And this morning, a wonderful woman called Law, who worships with us, she's given me permission to share this, but she's French. She lives in the neighborhood, Parsons Green, as loads of French people do. She shared this morning how one of her colleagues, the company she works for, was killed in Paris on Friday night. It touches us as it should. And I just don't think we can look at anything else, address anything else tonight than to really address this, the thing that's most on our hearts and most on our minds and wrestle with it as we all wonder what the heck is going on. As those around us, our friends, families, colleagues, ask what is going on with the world? What is happening? How can we understand this? How can we make sense of it? That's the question for us as believers, as Christians, as a church. How can we understand it? What relevance? We're doing a series in Hebrews. You know, third session tonight. I'm looking at better covenant. We've looked at Jesus, better person. He's, he's the son of God. We've looked at Jesus, better priest. Better than Aaron. We're looking at better covenant tonight. But Paris is in mourning. Why? Does it make sense? Can it make sense? What relevance has this got? Does it have any relevance? Does it speak to this situation? Does it deal with real life? Because this is real life. People losing their lives. And what I want to say is, yes. It has every relevance. It is, in many ways, the only thing that is relevant. Because this this book is God's truth. It is God's word. It is the one thing that God in heaven has given us to make sense of who he is, who we are, and how our world's been made. And you know, politicians, the media, whoever, the world will say, this radical Islam, it's an attack on our values. They don't like our values. Yeah, sure. They don't like our values. It's an attack on our freedom. Yeah, absolutely. They, they hate freedom. Their creed detests freedom. But you know what? 
above all else is going on right now. And not just now, but from the beginning of time. Is this is an attack on truth itself. Because what is at stake is a claim on how this world has been made, on who we are and who ultimately sits on the throne. And there are competing worldviews, there are competing narratives, and there is a clash of narratives going on in our world today, and that is what is playing out. And the question that faces us, the question that faces this world, is who reigns? Who is Lord? Who is in control? Is anyone in control? Is it Allah? Or is it Jesus Christ? That is what is at stake. And that is why we see what we see, because that is the game. If you win that battle, you win the war. And so, doing a little series in Hebrews, five-part series, looking at just chapter eight, it is to go into battle to wrestle with the very fundamental forces that are at work, that are at play, that are at war in our world today. This is what is going on. And I want to reflect on just I think three things all those in Paris and perhaps you might be feeling. I want to look at how this new covenant, what Jesus has won for us, what he's brought for us, who he is for us. I want to look at what that means and what word that speaks to fear. Because just search your hearts, if we're all honest. There's probably a little bit of fear in each of us following Friday night's events. There'll be those moments where we go to get on the tube and just clocking who gets on with us. Someone with a rucksack, what's going on? Honest moments, reality, fear wanting to have its way, wanting to get a hold of our lives wanting to constrict and constrain us. I want to look at forgiveness. What the new covenant teaches us about that. How on earth do you forgive what's just happened? How does the family of Law's colleague forgive those men what they did? Would I be able to? Would you? How do we forgive anyone? And I want to look at the future. What does this mean for us? What does life look like now? You know, in a sense, it feels when something like this happens, it feels like the world shrinks, doesn't it? It feels like, oh my gosh, things will never be the same. And in a sense, they won't. But in another sense, Human beings have an incredible ability to just get on with stuff. But what will that future look like? 
What are we called to do going forward from this place? So, fear. How do we respond? How do we take out a message that will speak to those outside these four walls, those who, who don't know what's going on? They don't know what their narrative is. They don't know what their worldview is. But all they're aware of is that they are afraid. They are fearful. What word can we speak to them, to ourselves? Verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. How do you live a life that's free from fear? Well, I believe it requires us to fear one thing above all else. As the people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to fear God and God alone. That's the witness of the Bible. That's what it holds out. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is everything. If you want to live a life free from fear of all sorts, including whether you'll get home safe tonight on the tube, let's speak honestly about this stuff, then you need to fear one thing, one person alone. And that is the living God. The living God. You know, this new covenant that Jesus brought about, it, it followed a covenant that had been given to Moses when Moses went up on the mountaintop. You might remember the story in Exodus and this cloud, this dense cloud, descended on the top of the mountain. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was the roar of God's voice. And it says all the people, a whole nation trembled, trembled. They were afraid and they were right to be afraid because they were coming into contact with the living God, a just, holy, righteous God who created the whole earth and all that is. And he is one to be feared. And he gave them that first covenant. And he called the people to follow, to fear him alone. But in Christ, God has sent his son who brings in the new covenant, who shows us the true face of God. Yes, the same, just, holy, righteous, but also kind, loving, merciful, gracious, one who smiles on his creation who welcomes sinners, who gives out hugs, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. That's this God. That's this God whom we are to fear, and not in the sense of be terrified or scared of, but fear as in have holy awe of and align our lives with, because we know it all depends on him. It begins with him, it ends with him. And nothing else will steal my peace or joy because I fear the Lord and the Lord alone. Why? Because he is in control. 
How do you quell your fears? You put your trust in the Lord because he reigns. Not Allah. Not any other who would claim that throne. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We do have such a high priest in verse 1 who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. Whatever's going on in our world, whatever fears are coming our way, we can trust because Jesus Christ is Lord and Jesus is on the throne. That's how we deal with fear. God is in control. He's bringing about his plans. We can hold on to him. Let's fear him alone and tell all our other fears to go to hell. That's what the new covenant brings us. It brings us freedom. The second thing, forgiveness. How? How is it humanly possible to forgive someone who would take one who's most dear to you, a loved one, a brother, sister, cousin, friend, whoever it might be, husband, wife, how could you even begin to forgive? If I'm honest, I'm not sure I could find the strength. But you know, that's where the new covenant is good news for that as well. Because through it, God is saying, you want to be able to forgive in that situation? You don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance in your own strength. You see, the new covenant came about Because God's covenant that he gave to Moses on that mountaintop, the law, which he commanded the people to obey in order to know the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, they simply were not able to live out those ways, those demands. They kept falling short. They kept breaking the law. They couldn't live a holy life. They couldn't give all their worship to God. They couldn't forgive their neighbor their enemy. They simply could not do it in their own strength. And so God, in his mercy, in his wisdom, from before all creation, saw what needed to happen. He saw that a better way was needed, a better covenant, through which the laws of God, the very demands of God on us, would be put inside of us. So rather than being written on stone, pieces of stone external to us, acting like a burden upon us, they would be written on our minds, written on our hearts. They would become an energy within us, empowering us to live the life of God that God calls us to live. How can, how can the people of Paris forgive what's happened? They can't in their own strength. They will need the very power and grace of God at work in their lives, in their hearts, in order to get close. And that's what Jesus came to bring about. He came to bring about a new humanity. He came to enable that forgiveness. He came to forgive you and me. And this is why our calling is not to hate those who did 
this evil, evil though it was, barbaric though it was. We are not called to hate anyone. As the children of God, we are called to love. We are called to turn the other cheek. We are called to pray for those who persecute us. We are called to love our enemies. How do we do this? We do this because our hearts have been transformed and the very law of God lives within us, shaping us in the likeness of Christ, who even when he was being nailed to a cross by his enemies said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Could you do that? Could I? That's what's asked of us. And that's what's impossible without the new covenant without all that Jesus has achieved. That's why we're called not to hate our enemies. We are called to love them because they are simply sinners who haven't seen the Savior yet. Sinners like you and me. Jesus Christ died to bring all mankind to himself. Hindu, Jew, Buddhist, Muslim. Us. He loves humanity. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. What we see going on is the fruit of an enemy, a spiritual enemy, who would, if he was able, destroy mankind in the blink of an eye. Satan the devil, who opposes us. Why? Because he sees the image of God in each one of us. And he hates it. And the image of God is in every man, woman, and child. In every Muslim man, woman, and child. We may disagree with their creed, with what they believe, but we are called to love and embrace them, to pray for them, to take the gospel to them. To find that power, we need all that God has for us. That's achieved by the new covenant, taking us to a place where we can forgive just as we have been forgiven. The ultimate promise of this new covenant for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. We have been forgiven, guys. And we are called to go out into that world and make that good news known. That is what our future looks like. The third F. Fear, forgiveness, the future. What does the future look like? We've no idea. Politically, geopolitically. We're not given that. You know, there's a great cheesy line Maybe you've come across it. It says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That is what Hebrews points to. That is what it's speaking of in verse one. Jesus Christ seated on the throne, ruling, reigning, who lived, died, rose again, and is coming back again. What does the future look like? The future looks like Christ. It does not look like any other narrative, any other worldview held out by any other creed, any other doctrine. It looks like 
Christ. And until we get that clear and our feet on that solid ground, then we will feel all over the place. The future is Christ. He's coming back. He will establish his kingdom. And until he does, what are we called to do? Well, we're called to do what we've always been called to do. Go out into the world to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Go out into the world to tell them this good news that we ourselves have heard. To live it, to speak it, to proclaim the gospel, whatever kind of trouble it lands us in. You know, I feel convicted. I feel convicted that these acts have been perpetrated by men radicalized. Radicalized to the point of giving their lives for something that is not true. This is a battle for truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. They would go so far and yet they do not even know him. What about me? What about you? Perhaps if there's one good thing that could come from this, it would be to stir us to wake up the church to respond. To perhaps get a little more radical ourselves about the living God, the one who is alive, the one who does rule, who does reign, who is seated on the throne and who is goodness, who is love, who is mercy, who is peace. If only we could let ourselves get a little bit more fired up about that. God, have mercy. Do it. Do it, Lord. What does the future look like? Look like? I hope and pray it looks like us going to our knees before our Father in heaven, praying his mercy and healing over this situation for those who've lost loved ones, for those who are broken, for those who are grieving, but also saying a prayer for the perpetrators, that God in his mercy would break in, break off from them the lies, the darkness they are in that lead them to do these horrific things, bringing them into a knowledge of the truth, the light that is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. What does the future look like? The future is Christ. And the future for us is making Christ known. You know, it says of Jesus in verse 1 that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. It describes Jesus as being seated right now. He is sitting. He is reigning. You know, the priests in the Old Testament, they never sat. There's no seat in the tabernacle. There's no seat in the temple. Why? Because their work is never done. They never get to put their feet up. They're always offering sacrifices. But Jesus, when he offered his sacrifice, his life on the cross, when he ascended, he sat down because the work of redemption was finished. But you know what's amazing? Just turn with me to Acts. Just want to look. And this I close. 
Acts 7. What's amazing is that Jesus is seated. He rules, he reigns. The work of redemption is done. And yet there are times when he stands, when he rises to his feet. In verse 54, telling the story of Stephen, said, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen's been giving them a potted version of the gospel and just the history of God's move by his spirit. But it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. You know, there are times, and this is one of them, when the world rages against the church, against the people of God, when Satan so stirs things up that all we hear is noise. All we hear is gunfire, is the explosion of bombs, is screaming, is terror. And it is at, that, at those moments that Jesus Christ rises up from his throne and he stands and he stands watch over us. He stands watch over his people. He stands guard over his church. And he cheers us on and all of heaven with him. And right now, I believe God is standing. Jesus Christ is standing over your life and my life. But he's calling to us and say, what will you do? How will you respond? This world is up for grabs. A world that doesn't know me. Will you go and make me known? I want us to um, respond in a moment. We're going to take communion. And uh, there's no better picture of the hope for the world. And we need hope right now, right? There's no better picture of hope than this table, this meal that we gather around. People from all different backgrounds, geographies, whatever it might be, united, one, around this meal, the broken body and blood of Jesus. God himself descended from the throne to give his life for the world, a world that rejects him. This is a picture of what is possible and our hope for France, for Paris, for Beirut, for the whole world. We'll be celebrating, sharing that in a moment. But before we do, I want us to respond prayerfully but reflectively. And in a moment, uh, we're going to just play a song gently over us. And I want to encourage you, if you feel you need to stand to do business with God, if you feel you want to go to your knees, you want to lie prostrate, do whatever you want to do. I want us to respond and lift France, lift Paris, lift any other situation you can think of before the Lord Almighty. Pray for that, pray for them. But pray also that the church would wake up, that we would be stirred and go out in love 
and goodness to make Jesus Christ known. Let's pray.